April 8 through 14 of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, April 8. If they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Luke twenty-three thirty-one. Among other interpretations of this suggestive question, the following is full of teaching. If the innocent substitute for sinners suffer thus, what will be done when the sinner himself, the dry tree, shall fall into the hands of an angry God? When God saw Jesus in the sinner's place, he did not spare him, and when he finds the unregenerate without Christ, he will not spare them. O oh, sinner, Jesus was led away by his enemies, so shall you be dragged away by fiends to the place appointed for you. Jesus was deserted of God, and if he, who was only imputedly a sinner, was deserted, how much more shall you be? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani! What an awful shriek! But what shall be your cry when you shall say, O oh God, O oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the answer shall come back, because ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. If God spared not his own son, how much less will he spare you? What whips of burning wire will be yours when conscience shall smite you with all its terrors? Ye richest, ye merriest, ye most self-righteous sinners, who would stand in your place when God shall say, Awake, O sword, against the man that rejected me? Smite him, and let him feel the smart forever. Jesus was spit upon. Sinner, what shame will be yours? We cannot sum up in one word all the mass of sorrows which met upon the head of Jesus who died for us. Therefore it is impossible for us to tell you what streams, what oceans of grief must roll over your spirit if you die as you are now. You may die so, you may die now. By the agonies of Christ, by his wounds and by his blood, do not bring upon yourselves the wrath to come. Trust in the Son of God, and you shall never die. Evening, April 8. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalm 23, 4. Behold, how independent of outward circumstances the Holy Ghost can make the Christian! What a bright light may shine within us when it is all dark without! How firm, how happy, how calm, how peaceful we may be when the world shakes to and fro and the pillars of the earth are removed! Even death itself, with all its terrible influences, has no power to suspend the music of a Christian's heart, but rather makes that music become more sweet, more clear, more heavenly, till the last kind act which death can do is to let the earthly strain melt into the heavenly chorus, the temporal joy into the eternal bliss. Let us have confidence, then, in the blessed Spirit's power to comfort us. Dear reader, are you looking forward to poverty? Fear not. The Divine Spirit can give you, in your want, a greater plenty than the rich have in their abundance. You know not what joys may be stored up for you in the cottage around which grace will plant the roses of content. Are you conscious of a growing failure of your bodily powers? Do you expect to suffer long nights of languishing and days of pain? Oh, be not sad. That bed may become a throne to you. You little know how every pang that shoots through your body may be a refining fire to consume your dross a beam of glory to light up the secret parts of your soul. Are the eyes growing dim? Jesus will be your light. Do the ears fail you? Jesus' name will be your soul's best music and his person your dear delight. 
Socrates used to say, philosophers can be happy without music. And Christians can be happier than philosophers when all outward causes of rejoicing are withdrawn. In thee, my God, my heart shall triumph, come what may of ills without. By thy power, O blessed Spirit, my heart shall be exceeding glad, though all things should fail me here below. Morning, April 9 And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Luke twenty-three, twenty-seven. Amid the rabble rout which hounded the Redeemer to his doom, there were some gracious souls whose bitter anguish sought vent in wailing and lamentations, fit music to accompany that march of woe. When my soul can, in imagination, see the Savior bearing his cross to Calvary, she joins the godly women and weeps with them. For indeed there is true cause for grief, cause lying deeper than those mourning women thought. They bewailed innocence maltreated, goodness persecuted, love bleeding, meekness about to die. But my heart has a deeper and more bitter cause to mourn. My sins were the scourges which lacerated those blessed shoulders, and crowned with thorn those bleeding brows. My sins cried, Crucify him! Crucify him! and laid the cross upon his gracious shoulders. His being led forth to die is sorrow enough for one eternity, but my having been his murderer is more, infinitely more grief than one poor fountain of tears can express. Why those women loved and wept it were not hard to guess, but they could not have had greater reasons for love and grief than my heart has. Nain's widow saw her son restored, but I myself have been raised to newness of life. Peter's wife's mother was cured of the fever, but I of the greater plague of sin. Out of Magdalene seven devils were cast, but a whole legion out of me. Mary and Martha were favored with visits, but he dwells with me. His mother bare his body, but he is formed in me the hope of glory. In nothing behind the holy women in debt, let me not be behind them in gratitude or sorrow. Love and grief my heart dividing, with my tears his feet I'll lave. Constant still in heart abiding, weep for him who died to save. Evening, April 9. Thy gentleness hath made me great. Psalm 18.35. The words are capable of being translated, Thy goodness hath made me great. David gratefully ascribed all his greatness not to his own goodness, but the goodness of God. Thy providence is another reading, and providence is nothing more than goodness in action. Goodness is the bud of which providence is the flower, or goodness is the seed of which providence is the harvest. Some render it thy help, which is but another word for providence, providence being the firm ally of the saints, aiding them in the service of their Lord. Or again, thy humility hath made me great. Thy condescension may, perhaps, serve as a comprehensive reading, combining the ideas mentioned, including that of humility. It is God's making himself little which is the cause of our being made great. We are so little that if God should manifest his greatness without condescension, we should be trampled under his feet. But God, who must stoop to view the skies, and bow to see what angels do, turns his eye yet lower, and looks to the lowly and contrite, and makes them great. There are yet other readings, as, for instance, the Septuagint, which reads, Thy discipline, thy fatherly correction, hath made me great. While the Chaldee paraphrase reads, Thy word hath increased me. Still the idea is the same. David ascribes all his own greatness to the condescending goodness of his Father in heaven. May this sentiment be echoed in our hearts this evening while we cast our crowns at Jesus' feet and cry, Thy gentleness hath made me great. How marvelous has been our experience of God's gentleness! 
How gentle have been his corrections! How gentle his forbearance! How gentle his teachings! How gentle his drawings! Meditate upon this theme, O believer. Let gratitude be awakened. Let humility be deepened. Let love be quickened ere thou fallest asleep tonight. Morning, April 10. The Place Which Is Called Calvary. Luke 23, 33. The hill of comfort is the hill of Calvary. The house of consolation is built with the wood of the cross. The temple of heavenly blessing is founded upon the riven rock, riven by the spear which pierced his side. No scene in sacred history ever gladdens the soul like Calvary's tragedy. Is it not strange the darkest hour that ever dawned on sinful earth should touch the heart with softer power for comfort than an angel's mirth? That to the cross the mourner's eyes should turn sooner than where the stars of Bethlehem burn. Light springs from the midday midnight of Golgotha, and every herb of the field blooms sweetly beneath the shadow of the once accursed tree. In that place of thirst grace hath dug a fountain which ever gusheth with waters pure as crystal, each drop capable of alleviating the woes of mankind. You who have had your seasons of conflict will confess that it was not at Olivet that you ever found comfort not on the hill of Sinai, nor on Tabor, but Gethsemane, Gabatha, and Golgotha have been a means of comfort to you. The bitter herbs of Gethsemane have often taken away the bitters of your life. The scourge of Gabatha has often scourged away your cares, and the groans of Calvary have put all other groans to flight. Thus Calvary yields us comfort rare and rich. We never should have known Christ's love in all its heights and depths if he had not died nor could we guess the Father's deep affection if he had not given his Son to die. The common mercies we enjoy all sing of love, just as the seashell, when we put it to our ears, whispers of the deep sea whence it came. But if we desire to hear the ocean itself, we must not look at everyday blessings, but at the transactions of the crucifixion. He who would know love, let him retire to Calvary and see the man of sorrows die. Evening, April 10 for there stood by me this night the angel of God. Acts 27.23 Tempest and long darkness, coupled with imminent risk of shipwreck, had brought the crew of the vessel into a sad case. One man alone among them remained perfectly calm, and by his word the rest were reassured. Paul was the only man who had heart enough to say, Sirs, be of good cheer. There were veteran Roman legionaries on board and brave old mariners, and yet their poor Jewish prisoner had more spirit than they all. He had a secret friend who kept his courage up. The Lord Jesus dispatched a heavenly messenger to whisper words of consolation in the ear of his faithful servant. Therefore he wore a shining countenance and spake like a man at ease. If we fear the Lord, we may look for timely interpositions when our case is at his worst. Angels are not kept from us by storms or hindered by darkness. Seraphs think it no humiliation to visit the poorest of the heavenly family. If angels' visits are few and far between at ordinary times, they shall be frequent in our nights of tempest and tossing. Friends may drop from us when we are under pressure, but our intercourse with the inhabitants of the angelic world shall be more abundant, and in the strength of love words brought to us from the throne by way of Jacob's ladder, we shall be strong to do exploits. Dear reader, is this an hour of distress with you? Then ask for peculiar help. Jesus is the angel of the covenant, and if his presence be now earnestly sought, it will not be denied. What that presence brings in heart cheer those remember, who, like Paul, have had the angel of God standing by them in a night of storm, 
when anchors would no longer hold and rocks were nigh. O angel of my God, be near, amid the darkness hush my fear. Loud roars the wild tempestuous sea, thy presence, Lord, shall comfort me. Morning, April 11. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Psalm 22, 14. Did earth or heaven ever behold a sadder spectacle of woe? In soul and body our Lord felt himself to be weak as water poured upon the ground. The placing of the cross in its socket had shaken him with great violence, had strained all the ligaments, pained every nerve, and more or less dislocated all his bones. Burdened with his own weight, the august sufferer felt the strain increasing every moment of those six long hours. His sense of faintness and general weakness were overpowering, while to his own consciousness he became nothing but a mass of misery and swooning sickness. When Daniel saw the great vision, he thus describes his sensations. There remained no strength in me, for my vigor was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. How much more faint must have been our greater prophet when he saw the dread vision of the wrath of God and felt it in his own soul. To us, sensations such as our Lord endured would have been insupportable, and kind unconsciousness would have come to our rescue. But in his case he was wounded and felt the sword. He drained the cup and tasted every drop. O king of grief, a title strange yet true, to thee of all kings only due. O king of wounds, how shall I grieve for thee, who in all grief preventest me? As we kneel before our now ascended Saviour's throne, let us remember well the way by which he prepared it as a throne of grace for us. Let us in spirit drink of his cup, that we may be strengthened for our hour of heaviness whenever it may come. In his natural body every member suffered, and so must it be in the spiritual. But as out of all his griefs and woes his body came forth uninjured to glory and power, even so shall his mystical body come through the furnace with not so much as the smell of fire upon it. Evening, April 11. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Psalm 25, 18. It is well for us when prayers about our sorrows are linked with pleas concerning our sins, when, being under God's hand, we are not wholly taken up with our pain, but remember our offenses against God. It is well also to take both sorrow and sin to the same place. It was to God that David carried his sorrow. It was to God that David confessed his sin. Observe, then, we must take our sorrows to God. Even your little sorrows you may roll upon God, for he counteth the hairs of your head, and your great sorrows you may commit to him, for he holdeth the ocean in the hollow of his hand. Go to him, whatever your present trouble may be, and you shall find him able and willing to relieve you. But we must take our sins to God, too. We must carry them to the cross, that the blood may fall upon them to purge away their guilt and to destroy their defiling power. The special lesson of the text is this, that we are to go to the Lord with sorrows and with sins in the right spirit. Note that all David asks concerning his sorrow is, Look upon mine affliction and my pain. But the next petition is vastly more express, definite, decided, plain. Forgive all my sins. Many sufferers would have put it, Remove my affliction and my pain and look at my sins. But David does not say so. He cries, Lord, as for my affliction and my pain, I will not dictate to thy wisdom. Lord, look at them. I will leave them to thee. I should be glad to have my pain removed, but do as thou wilt. But as for my sins, Lord, I know what I want with them. 
I must have them forgiven. I cannot endure to lie under their curse for a moment. A Christian counts sorrow lighter in the scale than sin. He can bear that his trouble should continue, but he cannot support the burden of his transgressions. Morning, April 12. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Psalm 22:14. Our blessed Lord experienced a terrible sinking and melting of soul. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? Deep depression of spirit is the most grievous of all trials. All besides is as nothing. Well might the suffering Savior cry to his God, Be not far from me, for above all other seasons a man needs his God when his heart is melted within him because of heaviness. Believer, come near the cross this morning and humbly adore the King of glory as having once been brought far lower in mental distress and inward anguish than any one among us, and mark his fitness to become a faithful high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Especially let those of us whose sadness springs directly from the withdrawal of a present sense of our Father's love enter into near and intimate communion with Jesus. Let us not give way to despair, since through this dark room the Master has passed before us. Our souls may sometimes long and faint, and thirst even to anguish, to behold the light of the Lord's countenance. At such times let us stay ourselves with the sweet fact of the sympathy of our great High Priest. Our drops of sorrow may well be forgotten in the ocean of his griefs, but how high ought our love to rise! Come in, O strong and deep love of Jesus, like the sea at the flood in springtides. Cover all my powers, drown all my sins, wash out all my cares, lift up my earth-bound soul, and float it right up to my Lord's feet, and there let me lie, a poor broken shell, washed up by his love, having no virtue or value, and only venturing to whisper to him, that if he will put his ear to me, he will hear within my heart faint echoes of the vast waves of his own love which have brought me where it is my delight to lie, even at his feet forever. Evening, April 12. The King's Garden, Nehemiah 3.15 Mention of the King's Garden by Nehemiah brings to mind the paradise which the King of Kings prepared for Adam. Sin has utterly ruined that fair abode of all delights, and driven forth the children of men to till the ground, which yields thorns and briars unto them. My soul, remember the fall, for it was thy fall. Weep much, because the Lord of love was so shamefully ill-treated by the head of the human race, of which thou art a member, as undeserving as any. Behold how dragons and demons dwell on this fair earth, which was once a garden of delights. See yonder another king's garden, which the king waters with his bloody sweat, Gethsemane, whose bitter herbs are sweeter far to renewed souls than even Eden's luscious fruits. There the mischief of the serpent in the first garden was undone. There the curse was lifted from earth, and borne by the woman's promised seed. My soul, bethink thee much of the agony and the passion. Resort to the garden of the olive-press, and view thy great Redeemer rescuing thee from thy lost estate. This is the garden of gardens indeed, wherein the soul may see the guilt of sin and the power of love two sights which surpass all others. Is there no other king's garden? Yes, my heart, thou art, or shouldst be such. How do the flowers flourish? Do any choice fruits appear? Does the king walk within and rest in the bowers of my spirit? Let me see that the plants are trimmed and watered, and the mischievous foxes hunted out. Come, Lord, and let the heavenly wind blow at thy coming, that the spices of thy garden may flow abroad. Nor must I forget the king's garden of the church. 
O Lord, send prosperity unto it. Rebuild her walls, nourish her plants, ripen her fruits, and from the huge wilderness reclaim the barren waste, and make thereof a king's garden. Morning, April 13. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. Song of Solomon 1, 13. Myrrh may well be chosen as the type of Jesus on account of its preciousness, its perfume, its pleasantness, its healing, preserving, disinfecting qualities, and its connection with sacrifice. But why is he compared to a bundle of myrrh? First, for plenty. He is not a drop of it, he is a casketful. He is not a sprig or a flower of it, but a whole bundle. There is enough in Christ for all my necessities. Let me not be slow to avail myself of him. Our well-beloved is compared to a bundle again, for variety. For there is in Christ not only the one thing needful, but in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything needful is in him. Take Jesus in his different characters, and you will see a marvelous variety. Prophet, priest, king, husband, friend, shepherd. Consider him in his life. Death, resurrection, ascension, second advent. View him in his virtue gentleness, courage, self-denial, love, faithfulness, truth, righteousness. Everywhere he is a bundle of preciousness. He is a bundle of myrrh for preservation, not loose myrrh to be dropped on the floor or trodden on, but myrrh tied up, myrrh to be stored in a casket. We must value him as our best treasure. We must prize his words and his ordinances, and we must keep our thoughts of him and knowledge of him as under lock and key, lest the devil should steal anything from us. Moreover, Jesus is a bundle of myrrh for speciality. The emblem suggests the idea of distinguishing, discriminating grace. From before the foundation of the world he was set apart for his people, and he gives forth his perfume only to those who understand how to enter into communion with him, to have close dealings with him. O oh, blessed people whom the Lord hath admitted into his secrets, and for whom he sets himself apart! O oh, choice and happy who are thus made to say, A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me! Evening, April 13. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Leviticus 1, 4. Our Lord's being made sin for us is set forth here by the very significant transfer of sin to the bullock, which was made by the elders of the people. The laying of the hand was not a mere touch of contact, for in some other places of Scripture the original word has the meaning of leaning heavily, as in the expression, Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, Psalm 88.7. Surely this is the very essence and nature of faith, which doth not only bring us into contact with the great substitute, but teaches us to lean upon him with all the burden of our guilt. Jehovah made to meet upon the head of the substitute all the offenses of his covenant people, but each one of the chosen is brought personally to ratify this solemn covenant act, when by grace he is enabled by faith to lay his hand upon the head of the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Believer, do you remember that rapturous day when you first realized pardon through Jesus the sin-bearer? Can you not make glad confession and join with the writer in saying, My soul recalls her day of deliverance with delight. Laden with guilt and full of fears, I saw my Savior as my substitute, and I laid my hand upon him. Oh, how timidly at first! But courage grew, and confidence was confirmed until I leaned my soul entirely upon him, and now it is my unceasing joy to know that my sins are no longer imputed to me, but laid on him. And like the debts of the wounded traveler, Jesus, like the good Samaritan, has said of all my future sinfulness, set that to my account. Blessed discovery! 
eternal solace of a grateful heart. My numerous sins transferred to him shall never more be found, lost in his blood's atoning stream where every crime is drowned. Morning, April 14. All they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out the lip, they shake the head. Psalm 22, 7. Mockery was a great ingredient in our Lord's woe. Judas mocked him in the garden. The chief priests and scribes laughed him to scorn. Herod set him at naught. The servants and the soldiers jeered at him and brutally insulted him. Pilate and his guards ridiculed his royalty. And on the tree all sorts of horrid jests and hideous taunts were hurled at him. Ridicule is always hard to bear, but when we are in intense pain it is so heartless, so cruel, that it cuts us to the quick. Imagine the Savior crucified, racked with anguish far beyond all mortal guess, and then picture that motley multitude, all wagging their heads or thrusting out the lip in bitterest contempt of one poor suffering victim. Surely there must have been something more in the crucified one than they could see, or else such a great and mingled crowd would not unanimously have honored him with such contempt. Was it not evil confessing, in the very moment of its greatest apparent triumph, that after all it could do no more than mock at that victorious goodness which was then reigning on the cross? O oh, Jesus, despised and rejected of men, how couldst thou die for men who treated thee so ill? Herein is love amazing, love divine, yea, love beyond degree. We too have despised thee in the days of our unregeneracy, and even since our new birth we have set the world on high in our hearts and yet thou bleedest to heal our wounds, and diest to give us life. Oh, that we could set thee on a glorious high throne in all men's hearts! We would ring out thy praises over land and sea, till men should as universally adore as once they did unanimously reject. Thy creatures wrong thee, O thou sovereign good! Thou art not loved because not understood. This grieves me most, that vain pursuits beguile ungrateful men, regardless of thy smile. Evening, April 14. Say ye to the righteous, that it shall be well with him. Isaiah 3.10. It is well with the righteous always. If it had said, Say ye to the righteous, that it is well with him in his prosperity, we must have been thankful for so great a boon, for prosperity is an hour of peril, and it is a gift from heaven to be secured from its snares. Or if it had been written, It is well with him when under persecution, we must have been thankful for so sustaining an assurance for persecution is hard to bear. But when no time is mentioned, all time is included. God's shalls must be understood always in their largest sense. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, from the first gathering of evening shadows until the day star shines, in all conditions and under all circumstances it shall be well with the righteous. It is so well with him that we could not imagine it to be better, for he is well fed, he feeds upon the flesh and blood of Jesus, he is well clothed, he wears the imputed righteousness of Christ. He is well housed. He dwells in God. He is well married. His soul is knit in bonds of marriage union to Christ. He is well provided for, for the Lord is his shepherd. He is well endowed, for heaven is his inheritance. It is well with the righteous, well upon divine authority. The mouth of God speaks the comforting assurance. O oh, beloved, if God declares that all is well, ten thousand devils may declare it to be ill, but we laugh them all to scorn. Blessed be God for a faith which enables us to believe God when the creatures contradict him. It is, says the word, at all times well with thee, thou righteous one. Then, beloved, if thou canst not see it, let God's word stand thee instead of sight. 
Yea, believe it on divine authority more confidently than if thine eyes and thy feelings told it to thee. Whom God blesses is blessed indeed, and what his lip declares is truth most sure and steadfast. End of April 8 through 14. Recording by Levi Throckmorton from Lexington, Virginia.